Hey, grab your Bible and turn to Luke 6. Luke 6. Lord God, we ask your blessings upon this time in your word. We ask your spirit to lead us, fill us, give us eyes to see. And most importantly, God, open hearts that we would uh, receive these words, not for what they don't mean, although that's important too, but for what they do mean for us today. In Jesus' name, amen. Jesus says in Luke 6, verses 27 and 28, he says, but I say to you who hear, Love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. And pray for those who spitefully use you. And I really, really love the first clause, actually, in verse 27. Read it again. But I say to you who hear. I can't tell you how many times I've preached a message And someone afterwards has said, oh, pastor, that was such a good message. I just wish so-and-so were here to hear it. (laughs) Oh, you laugh, but it's true. If I had a nickel for every time I heard a comment like that, I would be a wealthy man. Oh, pastor, what a wonderful message. I just wish They were here to hear it. No, not at all. Jesus says, but I say to you who hear, this is for you today. It's not for someone who's not here. It's not for someone else in the audience. This is for you. And you will be listening to it because everyone was listening to Jesus' words in Luke 6. There were multitudes that he was speaking to. You will hear the words with your ears. But he speaks there, but I say to you who hear, he speaks of a different kind of hearing. He speaks of a hearing that goes through the ears and into the heart. And so we begin this third and final message on what to do with my enemies list with a clear Notion that this is a word of Christ to me, not to someone else. And here's that word. Love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. And pray for those who spitefully use you. I've written on your outline, and I hope you all have one. Good to take notes today. A a little dialogue between Jesus and the objector. Jesus says, bless and pray for your enemies. But the objection always comes back, ah, but Lord, my words. When I have enemies, Lord, when I, Lord, there are, yes, there are people who, who don't like me, who even hate me or, or, or harm me or humiliate me. There are people, Lord, who are bitter toward me or resentful of me who just don't like me. There are people that I don't get along with, and I might not call them an enemy because that sounds a little too strong, but I certainly am not in harmony with this person. But Lord, you're asking me to bless them and pray for them? My words, Jesus, my words, if I did that, would be disingenuous. 
Jesus responds, then practice tangible acts of mercy toward them. Do good to those who hate you. The objection comes back again. Oh, but Lord, I don't feel like acting mercifully toward them. Besides, if I do that, they might even take more advantage of me. So, so I can't speak words of blessing in prayer because that would be disingenuous. And I certainly can't do nice things toward them or, or for them because they, they might even take more advantage of me if I do that. Jesus responds again. They might. In fact, they probably will. But the Father showed mercy to you when you were his enemy. The Father showed mercy to you when you were his enemy. Romans 5.10 For if when we were enemies we were reconciled to God through the death of his Son, much more having been reconciled shall we be saved by his life. The Father showed mercy to you when you were his enemies. So be like him and love your enemies. Remember that practice makes perfect, meaning the Spirit changes our hearts as we faithfully obey the truth. And with a renewed heart, our mouth will learn to speak genuine words of blessing and prayer because out of the heart, the mouth speaks. And that is the process of learning to love our enemies. Speak words of prayer and blessing. Oh, I don't know if I can. Then practice acts of mercy and goodness toward them. And as you practice, awkward as it might feel, as you practice, the Spirit of God will honor your practice and make it perfect, make it mature, make it complete. He'll begin to do a work in your heart so that your heart is renewed. And as your heart's renewed, Luke 6.45, out of the heart, the mouth will speak words that are not disingenuous, but genuine. And you will have arrived, though it's a continual process, you will have come to a place where you can look to God and say, wow, Lord, I love my enemy. I have love for them. Okay, Lord, show me what to do. How can I show tangible acts of mercy? That is our topic today. Stand with me as we read verses 29 to 38. Stand with me as we read Luke 6, 29 to 38. Here are the tangible acts of mercy that you are to practice Verse 29, Jesus writes, Jesus says, to him who strikes you on the one cheek, offer the other also. And from him who takes away your cloak, do not withhold your tunic either. Give to everyone who asks of you. And from him who takes away your goods, don't ask them back. And just as you want men to do to you, you also do to them likewise. Verse 32, but if you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? For even sinners love those who love them. 
And if you do good to those who do good to you, what credit is that to you? For even sinners do the same. And if you lend to those from whom you hope to receive back, what credit is that to you? For even sinners lend to sinners to receive as much back. But love your enemies. Do good and lend, hoping, hoping, hoping for nothing in return. And your reward will be great. And you will be sons of the Most High. For he is kind to the unthankful and evil. Therefore be merciful just as your Father also is merciful. Judge not and you shall not be judged. Condemn not and you shall not be condemned. Forgive and you will be forgiven. Give and it will be given you to you. Given to you. Good measure. Pressed down. Shaken together. Running over we put into your bosom for with the same measure that you use it will be measured back to you you may be seated verse 29 to him who strikes you on the one cheek offer the other also to him who strikes you on the one cheek offer the other also, what is a strike on the cheek? I'd like to demonstrate it to you. Would anyone like to volunteer? <laughs> yeah, do I get to choose? Can I choose? Scott, you, you might be high on the list, buddy. I mean, yeah, yeah. What is a strike on the cheek? Starting with cheek, Saigon in Greek. In classical Greek, it meant jaw. But by the time of Jesus, and really even prior to the time of Christ, it came to mean cheek. It could also mean jaw, but it generally came to mean cheek. The word strike, the Greek word tupto, noted 12 times in the New Testament, eight times in the books of Luke and Acts, both written by Luke, clearly meant to beat, to hit, to strike, to wound, to injure, to humiliate through uh, physical aggression of some kind. Luke uses uh, this same word, tupto, to strike, in a number of different ways, again, in his writings. And I'll, I want to outline them for you. On your outline, back of your outline, strike, tupto, that's a long O there, can be defined as, number one, it can be defined as beating one's own chest in an act of personal shame. Write down the word shame. Beat one's own chest in an act of personal shame. You'll recall uh, the, the, the tax collector who beat his own chest while the Pharisee prayed to God and thanked God that he wasn't like this tax collector. And the tax collector beat his own chest, tupto, and said, oh God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Shame. Number two, tupto, strike, can mean to be hit on the mouth. To be hit on the mouth, whether cheek or jaw, as a sign of humiliation. To be hit on the mouth, struck on the mouth. Uh, in Acts 23, and there are other places in the New Testament, but in Acts 23, Paul is struck on the mouth as a result of his 
uh, defiance to the high priest. And it was meant to humiliate him. It was meant to put Paul in his place. To be struck on the cheek was to be put in one's place. Know where you are on the uh, totem pole. Of course, how we define tupto should also be guided by what we see in the context of Luke 6. In fact, the very next verse, the very next clause is very important. It's very relevant to understanding what it means to strike someone on the cheek. In the very next clause of verse 29, read it with me, it says there, he says, to him who strikes you on the one cheek, offer the other also, and from him who takes away your cloak, do not withhold your tunic either. From him who takes away your cloak, do not withhold your tunic either. Here the idea, friends, is the idea of a street robbery. The cloak in first century uh, Judaism was the outer garment, uh, similar to a coat today, uh, though that's not a precise translation. It was a valuable piece of clothing that protected a person from the elements. And uh, it, could be, it can be quite cold in uh, first century Palestine and throughout the, the ancient Greek and Roman world. And so the outer cloak, the outer garment, was used as a protection against the elements. On a cold, dark night, it also became a, uh, an interesting item to steal for those who needed warmth and protection themselves. And in fact, in the first century, it was quite common, especially in the times of winter, that a a knife-wielding thief would come and approach someone who was vulnerable and threaten them lest they give them their outer cloak. Common robbery in the first century. A knife-wielding thief stealing a cloak. So verse Really, the last part of verse 29 was an act of violence. And given its close proximity to Jesus' teaching about those who strike us on the cheek, it's likely that violence should not at all be ruled out for understanding what tupto, strike, means. In fact, tupto can be used in the sense of physically beating someone. On your outline, giving you three examples. Number three, tupto can be defined as to be physically harmed. To be physically harmed, and I want to note this, not including lethal force. Not including lethal force. That is to say, of all the examples I've given you, I gave you three examples there in the Gospel of Luke and Acts. Luke never uses tupto with the sense of lethal force. He always uses it with a view for, to aggression or, or at minimum to shame and humiliation. But he never uses tupto with the sense of to strike someone so that there's death or some sort of lethal force that's, that's invoked, inferred, excuse me. Tupto is not a strike unto death, nor is it a strike with the intent to kill. The intent to harm, yes. Humiliate, sure. Shame, absolutely. Physical aggression, it absolutely can be that. And given its close proximity 
to the, the robbery, the thief-wielding knife who takes the outer cloak, we should understand, and I believe, that to strike on the mouth, as Jesus is referring to it, is in reference to physical harm, not including lethal force. Tupto was not a life and death matter, not a life and death matter. It was a, u- it was a word used to describe physical, non-lethal aggression. The question is, okay, well, well, what does that mean for us? What does that mean for our society as we try to pay heed to Jesus' words here? Jesus, what do you mean when you say that we're to turn the other cheek when another intends to physically harm us? There are some common questions that arise also on your outline, some very, very, very common questions that Everyone here has probably dealt with at least a few of these questions as they've gone through life and trying to make sense of the New Testament and trying to make sense of their own beliefs about principles of retaliation and violence or nonviolence and pacifism and all of these questions are, are, are lifted into the air as Jesus speaks of turning the other cheek. Here are the questions that I could think of that I could break down into their, their core elements. Number one, should nations practice pacifism? Jesus said, turn the other cheek. Should nations practice pacifism? Number two, should governments give up the idea of retributive justice? Should governments just forsake the idea of imposing consequences and punishments upon people who commit crimes, who do things that are wrong? Should there be retributive justice imposed by the government or should we turn the other cheek as a nation? Number three, should a Christian not serve in government or the military given what Jesus is asking of us here? Four, should I, should I do nothing when I witness violence against another person? Number five, should I do nothing when I am the recipient of violence? These are very, very important questions, legitimate questions, and ones that deserve answers. I do want to spend time today, this morning, talking about what striking on the cheek does not mean. And I had mentioned uh, last week that I had spent so much time preparing for what it does not mean that I barely got around to identifying what it does mean. And that is so important too. And so we're gonna do two things here today. We're gonna spend a little bit of time saying what it does not mean because that's important. But then we need to really focus our energy and our attention on what it does mean or else we're wasting our time. So how about some of the answers to these questions? How do we begin to answer these questions? I, I think there's, there's really two ways to approach it. The first is this, what does the rest of Scripture say? As we look at these questions, we're, we're hearing the words of Jesus, turn the other cheek. We should be also referring to the rest of Scripture and identifying what God has said elsewhere. And then secondly, we would be remiss never, not to do this, we should remember, wait a minute, who was Jesus talking to in the first place? 
Who is he talking to in the first place? Well, let's look at that. Turn in your Bible to Luke 6, all the way back to verse 19. Luke 6, verse 19. And we're going to see the beginning of this Sermon on the Plain of Christ. Luke 6, verse 19. This is an editorial comment of Luke. And he says, And the whole multitude sought to touch Jesus, for power went out from him and healed them all. Then Jesus lifted up his eyes toward his disciples and said, and then we get the dialogue. So we have two, two groups here. In verse 19, we have Jesus addressing, uh, interacting with the multitudes. He's around a, a great number of people who are seeking him out who are or desiring his healing hand, his healing touch. And then in verse 20, given uh, the multitudes that have gathered around him, Jesus has turned his specific attention to his disciples. And he begins to teach toward them. And thus we have the dialogue that we have been walking through over the last number of weeks. Something that's also critically important, especially as we get to verse 29, is Jesus' use of pronouns. Now, a grammar lesson here, I know we're not in school, but this is important. Um, pronouns matter. They matter so much in Scripture. And fewer places do they matter more than in Luke 6.29. The pronouns that Jesus uses in Luke 6.29 are all, all second person singular pronouns. Every time he refers to, every time he takes the teaching and says, and this is who it's for, all of those pronouns are directed at the second person singular pronoun. What does that mean? On your outline, when Jesus says, to him who strikes you on the cheek, he means you, the individual. Write that down. He means you, the individual. Second person singular. When Jesus says, to him who strikes you on the cheek, he means you, the individual. And he's, remember, he's, direct, he's got the multitudes and he's directing his teaching at the disciples and he's pointing at them maybe one by one and saying to him who strikes you on the cheek. To him who strikes you, you on the cheek. F.F. F. Bruce writes, the admonition on your outline, the admonition to turn the other cheek is given by Jesus to his disciples. It belongs to the sphere of personal Behavior. Write that down. It belongs to the sphere of personal, personal behavior. And so we return to our common questions. Look at the first two questions. Number one, should nations practice pacifism? Number two, should governments give up retributive justice? We read, turn the other cheek. Shouldn't we take that teaching of Jesus and turn it into a nation of pacifism, Switzerland? Shouldn't we take that teaching of Jesus, turn the other cheek and say, you know what, we're gonna have zero 
Retributive justice, zero consequence for anyone that does wrong in our society. We're simply going to let it happen. Is that a fair reading of Jesus' teaching to turn the other cheek? The answer is immediate and swift. No. No. Not a fair reading at all. Jesus is not addressing nations. Jesus is not addressing governments. Jesus is not addressing governing officials acting in their official capacity as presidents or governors or legislators or judges. Jesus is not addressing law enforcement personnel acting in their official capacity as police and fire and the military and so on. Unless we forget what Paul said in Romans 13, I want us to turn there. I want us to see it clearly. Romans 13, turn in your Bible to Romans 13. Romans 13, verse 4. A few books over from Luke Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans. Romans 13, verse 4. Paul is speaking about the governing official. And he's referring to him with these words. He says, For he, the governing official, is God's minister to you for good. But if you do evil, be afraid. For he does not bear the sword in vain. For he is God's minister and avenger to execute wrath on him who practices evil. For he, the governing official, is God's minister to you for good. But if you do evil, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain. He's God's minister. Diakonos in Greek means servant. It means deacon in the church. Servant, minister of God. That's the language used to describe the governing official. An avenger, though, to execute wrath on him who practices evil. Another author says elsewhere, Paul regards retaliation as part of the duty of the civil ruler. Paul regards retaliation as part of the duty of the civil ruler. Pacifism that is... uh, the notion, the, 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 the political theory of pacifism among nations, when it is grounded in Jesus' words in Luke 6 and Matthew 5 to turn the other cheek, is a political theory that is totally amiss, totally awry, has nothing to do with the teaching of Jesus. Now, you might develop that theory elsewhere from some other teaching, but you're surely not going to get it from these words of Christ. In fact, you're surely not going to get it from the words of Christ anywhere in the New Testament. You'd have to look outside, outside the word, to develop a theology of nations practicing pacifism. Nations are supposed to carry out retributive justice. They're supposed to punish evildoers. That's what keeps society just and whole and together. But... And another objection comes up often, uh, as, as well it should. It's a good objection. Well, okay, maybe a nation shouldn't be pacifist. Maybe a governing official can practice retributive justice. But then that begs the question, can a Christian do that? Can a Christian 
become a man or woman who rises up into political office and carries out these decisions? Can a Christian legitimately read the words of Jesus in Luke 6 and then enter into the military or the police force and carry out vengeance in their capacity as servants of the state? The rationale of some is that Christians should not serve. Some people say they should not serve in government or the military because they put themselves in positions to do things that Jesus would speak against. But I refer you again to the words of Paul in Luke 13, verse 4. Read them and read them well. How Paul describes the governing official. He calls them God's minister, God's servant. We're admonished throughout all of the New Testament to become servants of God, to become ministers of God. And here Paul says, if you want to be a minister, a servant of God, one of the ways you can do that is by being a person in a government capacity, a military or or law enforcement capacity who carries out God's justice in the nation. It's one of the ways you can do that. It's one of the ways you can be God's servant is to become a diakonos of the state. Christians can involve themselves in politics, in law enforcement, or the military with a clean conscience knowing that as they serve in that official capacity, that's important, as they serve in that official capacity, they serve as God's ministers and servants for the good of the nation. I refer you also to portions of God's word like 2 Samuel verses chapters 15, 16, 17, and 18. And in 2 Samuel, King David, King David is faced with an unbelievable predicament. Here he is, the friend of God, David, the man after God's own heart, and his son Absalom has committed treason. And David, King David, man after God, in 2 Samuel 18, orders the death of his son Absalom. Orders his death. And you might say, how could he do that? How could he stand before God? How could God be pleased with such an order that a father would kill his own son? Order the death of his own son. How can God look upon that and call that good, call that just, call that right? It is precisely because this. David ordered the death of treasonous Absalom in his capacity, in his office, acting justly and without partiality on behalf of the nation of Israel. He had his son killed justly to protect the nation, to preserve the integrity and the authority of the office of the king. And had he not done that, the nation would have devolved into chaos. Servants of the living God can be servants of the state. And when they act justly, in their office, their conscience is clean before God. Clean. They need not worry about Jesus's, about heeding uh, Jesus' words in their capacity of turning the other cheek. They need not worry that somehow they're gonna approach Christ on the last day and he's gonna say, oh, because 
because you were a ruler or because you served in the military or because you were in law enforcement, you did not turn the other cheek and therefore I'm disappointed. Jesus is not going to do that. No, God's ministers, God's servants, diakonos, those are the people serving in their capacity for a just nation. Okay, that takes care of questions one, two, and three, I hope. What about question four? Should I do nothing when I witness violence against another person? Should I do nothing? Turn the other cheek, you say, Jesus. Should I do nothing when I witness violence against another? Here again, pronouns matter. Pronouns matter. The pronouns Jesus uses are all second person singular pronouns. So when Jesus says the word you to him who strikes you on the one cheek, he means you the individual. Jesus is not addressing violence done to another. Make it indelibly clear in your mind. Jesus, when he says you, you, you turn the other cheek, he's not addressing violence done to someone else. He's addressing violence done to you. He means you, the individual. So, should we do nothing when we witness violence against another? To that I would say, are you crazy? Of course not. Of course not. Help them. Call for help. Do whatever is necessary to stop the violence Psalm 82 says, defend the poor, the fatherless, do justice to the afflicted and needy, deliver the poor and the needy, free them from the hand of the wicked. Isaiah 117, learn to do good, seek justice, rebuke the oppressor, defend the fatherless, plead for the widow. We are, when we see injustice, when we see violence against another, we're to come to their aid, riddled throughout Scripture. Riddled throughout the Old and New Testaments. Go to their aid. Don't say, well, turn, Jesus said, turn the other cheek. Sorry. Looks like it hurts. No. Go to their aid. Help them. Call for help. One final question. The most important one. We've talked enough about what we, how we should not understand to turn the other cheek. What about how we should understand it? Should I do nothing, Jesus, when I am the recipient of violence? Should I do nothing, Jesus, when I am the recipient of violence, of evil, of harm, of humiliation? Let's remember that we're speaking of a particular kind of of situation, there's limits to it. We are not speaking of lethal violence, of a lethal use of force. That's not what tupto refers to ever in the New Testament. A strike, tupto, in all of scripture, had nothing to do with a strike leading to death or even a strike that was with the intent to kill. It was only at most an intent to harm. And so we're not speaking of lethal force. And you might put that on your question there. You might add the addendum. Should I do nothing when I am the recipient of non-lethal violence? One thing is certain. 
Jesus, Jesus did not always obey the technicalities of his teaching in Luke 6, 29. I want us to turn to John 18. Grab a Bible again. Still looking through this here. There's a lot to see. John 18, verses 19 to 23. Even Jesus did not always obey the technicality of his words in Luke 6, 29. John 18, verses 19 to 23. The high priest then asked Jesus about his disciples and his doctrine, and Jesus answered, I spoke openly to the world. I always taught in synagogues and in the temple where the Jews always meet, and in secret I've done nothing. Why do you ask me? Ask those who have heard me what I said to them. Indeed, they know what I said. Verse 22, and when he had said these things, one of the officers who stood by struck Jesus with the palm of his hand, saying, do you answer the high priest like that? And Jesus turned the other cheek. No? Verse 23, ah, Jesus defended himself. Look at this. And Jesus answered him, If I have spoken evil, bear witness of the evil. But if well, why do you strike me? Well, that's defiance right there. We don't hear it in live audience. I'll tell you right now, that's defiance. Jesus got struck on the cheek by the officer of the high priest and he turned to that man and he said, if I've spoken evil, bear witness of the evil. Show me what I did wrong that you struck me. Show me. But if I did well, why are you striking me? He defended himself. Jesus was struck on the cheek in John 18 and defended himself. Defiantly, I might add. Some would say, well, there we go. Jesus just contradicted himself. He said in Luke 6, 29, turn the other cheek and he didn't even do it when he had an opportunity to in, Luke, in, in John 18. Jesus just contradicted himself, right? No. You see, friends, Luke 6, 29 is not meant to be absolute. John 18 proves that. Proves that. Without a shadow of a doubt. Even Jesus showed discretion about when and where and under what circumstances he would turn the other cheek. And even Jesus gave consent to his disciples to to bear a sword for personal defense in Luke 22. I refer you to Luke 22, verses 36 to 38. Jesus gives his disciples an opportunity to bear a sword for personal defense in their life. Luke 22, end of it. Say, okay then, Neil. Okay, we have definitely spent enough time talking about what turn the other cheek does not mean. We know it's not for governments. We know it's not an excuse for pacifism. We know that uh, it's okay for a Christian to serve in the military and serve in government. 
We know that we're still to go to the aid of someone else who is experiencing violence. That doesn't refer to that either. And we also know that it's not even absolute, that, that even Jesus contradicted himself, proving that, uh, that it wasn't the technicality, the absolute technicality of his words that he wished us to follow. What is it? What is it? It is high time for us to know. What does it mean to turn the other cheek? When do I turn the other cheek and when don't I? On your outline. When do I turn the other cheek and when don't I? I've summarized it with these words. When I am the recipient of personal, non-lethal harm or violence, my response must be wholly guided and directed by the Holy Spirit. Write down Holy Spirit. That whether by silence, speech, or action, I might show Christian love and concern for the evildoer and his or her personal and eternal welfare. I'll read it again. Fill in the blanks. When I am the recipient of personal, key word, personal, non-lethal, another key word, non-lethal. When I'm the recipient of personal, non-lethal, harm or violence, my response must be wholly, completely guided and directed by the Holy Spirit of God that whether by silence, whether I turn the other cheek or by speech, as Jesus did in John 18, or by action, however I respond, that I might show Christian love and concern for the evildoer and his or her personal and eternal welfare. Turn the other cheek is not, not merely about being a personal pacifist in all circumstances. It's about practicing active concern for the one who has hurt you or harmed you. Walter Leafield writes this. This is such a critical statement. He writes on your outline, Jesus' teaching relates not so much to passivity in the face of evil as to concern for the other person. It's not so much about being passive and and recusing yourself from the situation, saying, well, I'm just gonna take it every time. No, it's about active personal concern for the one who's perpetrating these things against you. What response, ask yourself, what response, silence, speech, or action, what response, Holy Spirit, would best bring about my love and concern for this individual? What response, Lord, would best bring about their conviction and turning to you, God? Because I am concerned about their personal welfare, about their eternal welfare. Do I need to be silent? Do I need to speak? Do I need to act? What do I need to do, Holy Spirit, to show deep love that burns within me for this person? 
to show them, silence, speech, or action, show me what to do, Jesus. Show me what I could do right now in this moment of receiving shame, humiliation, harm, even non-lethal violence. What could I do right now to cause a change of heart in them? I was sent uh, an illustration by a member of the church when I first began this series. Story of a guy by the name of Julio Diaz. Julio Diaz had a, a daily routine. He was a, a 31 year old uh, social worker, and every day he would finish the day coming back on the subway, commuting to the Bronx. And he'd always get off the subway one stop early so he could go to his favorite diner. But one day, Julio Diaz, as he got off the subway, was approached by a man with a, a, a knife a young man with a knife. As, he walked, as the young man with, with the knife walked toward Julio, he, he said, give me your wallet. And Julio immediately you know, took out his, his wallet and, and threw it to the man. And the man caught it, a young teenage boy, and, and he turned around to walk away and Julio said, wait, 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 wait. And Julio took off his coat and he tossed his coat to the young boy the young teenager. And he said, if you're willing to risk your freedom for a few dollars, I guess you must really need the money. And you're going to need a coat if you're going to do it some more because it's cold out there. If you're going to rob more people, here's my coat because, man, it's cold out there. It's going to be a long night for you. Stay warm. The boy, the teenager, just looked at him, just kind of flabbergasted, and said, well, Why are you doing this? And he said, Hey, let me, uh, let me take you to dinner. Let me, let me show you where I was going tonight. And the teenager reluctantly followed him. And they went to the, the diner one stop prior to his subway stop, the local diner that Julio Diaz frequented virtually every day after work. And as they got into the restaurant, everybody waved at Julio. Hi, Julio, how you doing? How you doing? The cook, the waiter, all the people in the restaurant. And the teenager was looking at him, wearing his coat, <laughs> knife underneath. He says, do you own this place? He said, no. I'm just nice to people. By the end of dinner, Julio, <laughs> he said, I'd like to buy your dinner, but uh, you, you took my wallet. So could you, uh, could you open up my wallet and put out a 20? And the young teenager opened up the wallet, put a 20 on the table, and then uh, he threw the wallet back to Julio. And then he took off the coat, and he gave it back to Julio. And he walked out a changed man. Approach, um, it's a simple story, right? Simple, simple story of, of uh, graciousness. A simple story of, of, of mercy extended to an evildoer and a change of heart. A story of forgiveness and of reconciliation and of a change of mind and heart in the young man. But you've got to ask yourself, 
Why did the change occur for that young teenager on that particular night when he had been doing this probably for many, many, many years, just stealing people's money at knife point? And the answer comes back quite clearly. It's that a man like Julio Diaz recognized in the moment, in the moment of personal injustice, he asked himself, silence, speech, or action? What could I do to bring about change in this young boy's heart? My silence, my speech, or my action? He chose to do two things. He spoke and he threw a coat his way. And in the end, that young boy walked away changed. Something happens, friends, when we show active, spirit-filled Christian love to evildoers. We wear them down. We cause them to question us. We cause them to think about their life and about their relationship to God. We wear them down. And that's the beauty of the Christian life. Theodore Beza said this on your outline. He said, it belongs to the church of God to receive blows rather than to inflict them. But she is an anvil that has worn out many hammers. Write down those words, worn out many hammers. It belongs to the church of God to receive blows, to take it, to take injustice rather than to inflict retribution back. But she, the church, she is an anvil that has worn out many hammers. And so, friends, be lavish as you love your enemies, as you show grace and merciful acts toward those whom you do not like, whom you do not get along with, who resent you, who are bitter toward you or you to them, who have harmed you, who've humiliated you, who've done great evil toward you. Jesus goes on to say, and it's all filtered through the idea of turning the other cheek, give, give to them. Give to everyone who asks you. Luke 6, verse 30, turn back to Luke 6. Give to everyone who asks of you. And from him who takes away your goods, don't ask them back. Give lavishly. Don't harbor a spirit of resentment, so says F.F. Bruce. If someone does you an injury or puts you to inconvenience, show yourself master of the situation by doing something to his advantage. You say, well, how will I know? How do I know if it's silence, speech, or action? How do I know how to respond? When is appropriate for for me to be silent and take it? When is it appropriate for me to speak up? When is it appropriate for me to to do some sort of action? Jesus tells us in, in verse 31, and just as you want men to do to you, you also do to them likewise. If you were in that setting, what would you want them to do to affect a change in your heart? If you were in that setting and you were the perpetrator, you were the evildoer, you were the one striking, what would you want the victim to do to you to cause you to change? It is a completely selfless focus. 
As you receive injustice, even non-lethal violence, you're asking yourself, what can I do to show my concern for them? You're unique. You're distinct. You're a child of God. Act like it, Jesus says. Don't act like the world. The world is full of people that know about reciprocity. The world is full of people that knows what it means to, 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 to give and then to be like, okay, now it's your turn. You want to give back? The world is full of sinners who love those who love them, who give to those who give to them, who lend to those who lend back, verse 32 and following. Luke 6, 32 and following. If you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners do this. Verse 33, if you do good to those who do good to you, if all you're thinking about is reciprocity, what credit is that to you? Even sinners do that. Verse 35, verse 34, excuse me, if you lend to those from whom you hope to receive back, what credit is that to you? Even sinners do this. You have to be distinct. You have to be unique. You have to demonstrate to that person that there's something within you that's different, whether it's by silent speech or action. You need to ask the Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, what could I do right now that would affect their condition, that would help me show them love and would change, give them every opportunity to change their life, both their personal life what they're going through right now and their eternal life, that they'd see the conviction of the Holy Spirit. What response do you need, Holy Spirit? Show me the response, I'll do it. Verse 35, love your enemies, do good and lend, hoping for nothing in return, selfless, giving it up, no return. I don't want return. All I want is love and concern for them. All I want is their change of life that they'd be transformed as I am. Love your enemies, do good, verse 35, and lend, hoping for nothing in return. Oh, and by the way, your your ability to shun off and push away the idea of reciprocity from men and women to say, you know what, no matter how they treat me, I don't care. I will love them I will seek their welfare. That desire to shun away and push away the reciprocity of the world, guess what? It comes back to you. It does does come back. End of verse 35. And your reward will be great. You didn't seek it from men. You didn't seek it from the evildoer who inflicted it upon you, who inflicted the injustice to you. You said, I don't care. I'm gonna show them love, grace, Seek their welfare. Oh, but you're going to get reward. Here it comes, and it'll be great because you'll be sons of the Most High. That means you'll be fully identified with your Heavenly Father who is kind to the unthankful and the evil. So be merciful, just like your Father. Accept injustices over and over again. Accept injustices over and over again. Asking God, how should I respond to this in love? And do it all as benevolent agents of our Heavenly Father who showed us grace and mercy. Show mercy, not judgment. Show grace, 
Don't have a condemning heart, verse 37 and following. Judge not those who cause you these injustices and you shall not be judged. Condemn them not and you shall not be condemned. Forgive them. Mark 11, 25, unilateral forgiveness. Forgive them without them even asking for it. Forgive them and you'll be forgiven. Give lavishly and it will be given to you. Good measure will be given to you. Pressed down, shaken together, and running over. You will be spilling over with the goodness of God. For with the same measure that you use, it will be measured back to you. Turn the other cheek. I could spend all my days talking about what it doesn't mean, and we've done that in part, and that's good to do. But if you walk away from here today only thinking about what it doesn't mean, then you're failing the test. Because you need to ask yourself, what does it mean? It's not an absolute. Jesus didn't even practice it every time, though he practiced it quite a bit. He pretty much practiced it the majority of the time. He practiced a response of silence and just receiving injustice a majority of the time. Something to think about. How will I respond to injustice, Lord? Holy Spirit, I have a desire, a desire to be an anvil for the hammers of my life. There are people who are hammers in my life. Holy Spirit, you know who they are. Some of them are my own family. They hammer me. Some of them are my friends. They hammer me. They just inflict so much pain in my life and suffering. Some are people who I work with, who I go to school with. Some or in my own neighborhood, Lord. People who are hammering upon me and I, I want to fight back, Lord. I want, I want vengeance. But I see in your word here that you tell me, love my enemies. I'm supposed to bless them and pray for them. How am I gonna do that? I'm going to practice doing good to those who hate me. And that means every time I receive injustice, a strike on the cheek, every time I receive it, I will ask myself, how can I show them love and concern right now? Will it be my silence turning the cheek? Will it be a graceful word, a graceful speech? Or will it be a gracious action toward them? Something good I could do toward them that will best bring about their life turning. As Julio Diaz brought about the change of life in that knife-wielding teenager. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, this has been uh, a very difficult portion of your word to understand. We believe, God, that, that you're taking us into a place of understanding now. And God, we don't want to walk out of here with just head knowledge. Oh, what a, what a travesty that would be. 
to walk out of here knowing how to argue against those who advocate for the political theory of pacifism. Oh, we're ready. Guns ready to, to, to shoot that down. No, Lord, that is not why we've read this. We've read this. We've read your teaching, Jesus, about turning the other cheek so that we could know what it means for me right here, right now, in my life. And Jesus, we want to respond to every injustice with love and concern. We want to know how to respond to these injustices. And so when they happen, Holy Spirit, would you, would the first question arise in our mind when we are struck, when we are hammered, would the first question rise up, how can I love them? How can I bring about reconciliation with God in their heart? And it might be by silence that we do that with, with uh, burning coals being put upon their head as we, as we sit there silently taking it. Or it might be by a gracious word or it might be by a gracious action. However it is, Lord, we are looking to you to wholly be our guide as we respond to unjust harm. We love you, Lord. Show us how to respond. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, folks, there is no place for uh, self-interest in the Christian life. It's not about yourself. It is about what you can do as the hands and feet of Jesus to bring someone nearer to him. So whatever they do to you, however much they hammer you, let us be an anvil for them, for their sake, to bring them into union with God. And oh, what a joy that would be to take someone who has been hammering you for years and to see them as you respond differently through silence, a gracious word, or a gracious act, to see them begin to question why they're hammering you to begin with. It's all about reconciliation, amen? Jesus, while we were still enemies, died for us. How much more so will we do for others?